Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It is a low-key video game podcast, and I am Brendan Bigley. <laughs> I'm Stephen Hilger. I was about to say that was like a more straightforward one, and then it became like Microsoft Sam's. That was fun. <laughs> Hello. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I just want to make it very clear that uh, we're, we just hit record after about 53 minutes of talking about Skyrim. <laughs> yes. That ended with like a weird, like Richard Little esque demonstration of that I could Im- impersonate every NPC, much to like Brendan's eternal frown. Uh, it, was, it was a good time. I don't know what it is. You and you and I are like usually when I start a new run of Skyrim, I just like play it for I don't know a week and then you know move on to something else. But I keep going back to Skyrim on this run. I don't yeah. know what I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just like the time of year. Maybe it's that we're both like pretty much done with our game of the year lists and like we're kind of done checking out all the stuff that we needed to check out. So like with all this freedom, what do you do? Oh, obviously you go back to the land of Skyrim, yeah. a place that's safe and comfortable. Exactly. It's very comfortable. It's perfect for this time of year. It's something that we do annually anyway. It's nice to like, it's weirdly, as much as I think that this show is not work or any of the games we're playing isn't forced, playing Skyrim is the, the closest thing to a break. That we can give ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you're right about the time of year, too. I do remember uh, the most, like, wild shit I've done playing Skyrim is playing Skyrim VR on the PS4 in the dead of winter, windows open with uh, a pine-scented candle lit. Oh, my God. So I was, like, freezing. <laughs> I could smell yeah. the trees. and. <laughs> I don't know. That was really dumb, but uh, it's one of my favorite video game experiences. I'll say that much, as stupid as it was. Honestly, the PSVR headset like just created the strangest version of me that existed for the couple months that I used it. <laughs> because like there was that. They also had a Hulu app, which I think I mentioned this on the show before, but like they had an app, uh, a VR app for Hulu, where you could watch Hulu in like virtual spaces, like a like a big empty movie theater or a penthouse in a city. And I I use that all the time. I watched. More Hulu than I ever had in my life just because I loved the experience of sitting in a big empty movie theater and watching Marvel's The Runaways season one. Uh, oh, my God. Which was very it was very silly. Uh, but I had a great time. I had a great time with it. And honestly, I'm very lucky in that my eyes are the perfect kind of fucked up in that I don't get motion sick at all. Um, so I could play it with like you know, none of the stuff that you like, they have a bunch of anti-motion sickness stuff built into Skyrim VR. I just turned all that shit off and played it for like hours and hours and hours and hours. I still have to read the runaways. Like that's like been on my to-do list Dude, for forever. It's really good. Yeah. I, I've only heard good things. I love Brian K. Vaughn. Yeah. And there's also a really good like recent run of it that I've heard of. Mm-hmm. There's like the original 2000s version and then there's like a more recent one. Yeah. Anyway. I think that one was by Rainbow Rowell. It's, re- it's also very good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited to get into that. Saga's back, baby. One of my favorite comics. Anyway, (laughs) we're talking about video games. Tell me about Halo Infinite, Brendan. Oh, yeah, dude. Halo Infinite is out. The campaign. Yes, the campaign. Yeah, we should be sorry. Halo Infinite, the complete package is now out. So we talked about the multiplayer a couple weeks ago when it first dropped. Um, it, it was their Xbox 20th anniversary thing. They had a big event. Uh, and at the end of the event, they said, hey, the multiplayer is ready. We're releasing it. Technically in beta, they said. But like, you know, it's out. It That's it. So that came out. I've been playing that a lot. Uh, as people in the Discord know, I'm playing it like all the time. Uh, and it is still great. But... I was curious about the campaign, and it's very much one of those things where it's on Game Pass, so why not? But I was like almost totally uninterested in it anyway, you know? Yeah. 
I I have played all of the Halo campaigns, one through three by Bungie, uh, Reach, ODST, also by Bungie, and then four and five, both by 343 Studios, after Bungie split off and went to go work on Destiny, and Microsoft retained the rights to Halo and whatever. And four and five, like, just to be frank and to be more negative than usual on the show like i just really actively disliked both of them the campaign yes yes the campaign uh honestly four i just didn't like at all like campaign and multiplayer i thought was like kind of a miss yeah the campaign kind of felt like i make this comparison a lot but the campaign kind of felt like uh star wars the force awakens where it's like all you need to do is prove you can make a halo game and i think they actually kind of fucked up doing that uh with Mm. four five got closer to it but you know, the story was absolute nonsense and like not very interesting um, and a little bit too self-serious. And the multiplayer I loved. I loved the Halo yeah, 5 multiplayer. I that, yeah. Yes. So with this kind of like shaky ground that 343 has been on, you know, like literally 50-50, I was a little bit unsure about the Halo Infinite campaign. And then I heard some more stuff about it that was like making me a little nervous in a way. Uh, so for example, this is a continuation of the story from Halo Wars 2, which is a game I forgot existed, which introduces (laughs) a new faction of enemies called the Banished. Uh, And the Banished are... Oh, man, this is already too much. But in Halo 1 through 3, you're fighting the Covenant. And the Covenant are these, like, evil aliens who think that humanity are heretics and they want to wipe them out. That's pretty clean. It obviously gets more complex. A lot of proper nouns in that game. Um, But, you know, that's who you're fighting. The Banished are essentially a version of the Covenant. They're like a splinter, like almost terrorist group from the Covenant. And they also hate humanity, essentially. And they want to reactivate the Halo Rings. The Halo Rings are big super weapons. Hey, look, give me the lore, Brendan. I I sat in this very chair and ranked all the Aedra and Daedra by (laughs) Jellicleness. You can tell me what the Halo Rings do without any sigh or self-reflection. Look, if you want to, if you want to give me the Lord, here's the reason I don't. The reason I don't (laughs) (laughs) is that playing Halo Infinite and thinking a lot about the campaigns. I actually went back earlier this year and tried playing one through three. I had this machination that I was going to record all three Halo campaigns (laughs) and like release them all uh, on our YouTube as like a big long play of the entire Halo trilogy. And I just don't think they're good. I just don't think that they're good. I don't think they hold up. I don't think the stories are very good. Like, on, like Master Chief is like not a very interesting person or character. Uh, <laughs> Dude, I, have you talked to the guy? He's fucking boring. His favorite color is beige, <laughs> and he only eats potato bread. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, he saved the Halo rings, sure, but the guy's favorite movie is Night at the Museum Two. <laughs> I don't want to judge anyone by what they like. And he just loves Ben Stiller in it. it <laughs> ben Stiller is his favorite know. character. Then you say you try to bridge the gap. You're like, oh, I love to roll ten of bombs. And he's like, what's that? It's like, how can you love Ben Stiller and not know the good Stiller work? <laughs> I'm going to have a King's Hawaiian roll as a treat. <laughs> his favorite memory of high school was detention. Because it was just nothing. He didn't have to do homework. He didn't have to talk to anyone. He just sat there. In a weird chair, in full armor. So all of that having been said, I wasn't too excited about Halo Infinite from a campaign perspective. They were making the thing open world, which I was curious about, but I didn't really see how that was going to serve the overall like gameplay of Halo or the story or like if that would be interesting at all. Because I, I just imagined myself like 
running in vast empty spaces as Master Chief and like <laughs> with nothing really to do, <laughs> like except until I get to like an enemy base or a mission. <laughs> Nothing nothing about Halo Infinite's campaign sounded very interesting to me. So I was like, I'm very content having this extremely fun, super engaging multiplayer that I like love, like love, love. Like it is easily one of my favorite multiplayer games out right now. Yeah. Maybe, like maybe one of my favorite in years. I am wrapped up in this in a way I haven't been in a long time. That's awesome. So anyway, this comes out. I, I read a bunch of reviews. I think one of the best ones that I read was uh, Jeff Gersman's over a giant bomb, which gets into like the nature of how strange it is to even review a Halo Infinite campaign in 2021, considering like it's on Game Pass. If you have Game Pass, like why not play it anyway, even if it's like remotely okay. Uh, the way he described it, which I really appreciated was uh, he, he said that Crackdown 3 is like the first shoe dropping. It's like this game isn't even very good, but it's included in Game Pass, so you should play it. Versus Halo Infinite, which is like the other shoe dropping, which is like, I actually think this game is great and it's on and it's on Game Pass and it just makes Game Pass more interesting. So like if this is a product review, quote unquote, it's like maybe not even worth talking about because you're going to play it anyway. Like I'm not preventing you from like saving or wasting money or whatever uh, because you've already spent it on Game Pass, et cetera, et cetera. That having been said, I have now played a lot of the Halo Infinite campaign and it is fucking great. It is Incredible. I am really, really, really blown away by it. I'll say this. I think what they're trying to do in terms of like having kind of the covenant be the baddies again uh, and, you know, having you end up on like another Halo ring, just kind of like wandering around. It does feel like they're trying to recapture Halo 1 a bit. It almost feels like they're kind of trying to make this as as back to basics as possible, which is a sentiment I've heard repeated in a lot of marketing and a lot of conversation about this game. And I think they've mostly succeeded at that because it feels like if you have ever played Halo 1, it feels a lot like the more open areas in Halo 1, even Mm. though those were essentially like get in a fucking warthog, load it with Marines and then drive from point A to point B. That experience is very much here still. It's just that there's more stuff to do in between those spaces. And, And I gotta be honest, the open world thing, as much as I was giving shit beforehand like i think it really works and i i I don't know if i could see them going back from this because it works so well Mm. a a lot of people describe halo as a sandbox it's like the term that everybody uses on like in like every article every podcast every tweet it's like the halo sandbox etc etc and what they mean when they talk about that is you have all these vehicles you have all these weapons they're all nonsense and they're all essentially physics objects and they all interact with each other in ways that are like just essentially like a machine for chaos and and comedy in a way um <laughs> and something about that aspect of the game paired with the extremely serious tone of the story generally i think makes for like almost camp like it gets close to camp at times which I'm always appreciative of, and I think that's one of the things about revisiting the old campaigns that I actually enjoyed more than I thought I would is like, oh, this is this is very campy. It's very funny in ways that I think like sometimes the game doesn't even realize every once in a while. You know, you have a you have the grunts who are like the smallest, baddest enemies, and they just like say wild shit. That's that's like very like hot topic version of humor. Everything that the grunts yell out. Um, So like 
I don't know if they actually wanted the whole game to be funny or if they just wanted the grunts to be funny, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Like, I don't know how in on the joke Bungie was when they conceived of this world. But something about playing through this in 2021 in a world now that is completely open and completely open to the physics engine. Like when I'm at a base and I call in a warthog and it, you know, I have a Marine who runs up to me and is like, chief, I am here with you at all. And then they get cut off because a warthog gets dropped on their head and they die. Like that's Skyrim. To me, I was about to say, yeah, that's I mean, that is literally the oblivion farewell. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. And something about pushing this game more towards the camp of the Elder Scrolls is like (laughs) really working for me in ways that I wasn't expecting. Now, that is instead of being aided by the campaign being like fully self-serious, something about the tone in this one is not lining up as well for me something about the tone of the campaign is like it's just very one note it's very flat i'm finding it to be like extremely boring from a story perspective because like it really is master chief loses fighting on a new halo that they found at some point between halos five and and this one which is technically six and he's like i'm gonna take it back and is like hanging out with a new AI that's not Cortana because Cortana apparently became evil and killed a bunch of people, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. You know, I had no idea. Twists and turns abound, Stephen. Uh, yeah. It's it's like pretty uninteresting. You're paired with this guy whose name is the pilot. That's all he goes by. And he's this dude who like finds Master Chief floating in space, which I think is now either the second or third time that a game has opened with Master Chief floating in space. You know, like, yeah, they're just kind of retreading a lot of the same stuff. And the pilot essentially exists to just be like, dude, you can't fight all of these guys. And then Master Chief being like, I can. And that's it. That's all the dialogue in the whole game just repeated over and over and over and over again. He's like, I'm just a guy. I'm just a human guy. And I think it's nuts for you to go into this base. And Master Chief's like, it's not. And then he goes and does it. And you know this because you've played Halo before. You know that Master Chief is not going to die because if you do, you load a save and you do it again until you don't die. Master Chief doesn't lose unless you're not in control of him, which I I just want to be clear. I pulled that from a review that I can't remember where that came from. But like it was one of the most poignant things I read about Halo Infinite was like, you know, that that Master Chief is not going to die because when you're in control of him, he wins. And this game is constantly presenting you with other characters who are like, dude, you're a one man army. You can't fight all of these aliens. Right. And you absolutely can. So there's almost no stakes, right? There's like, there's absolutely like, Mm. it's not like this game is going to end with Master Chief losing again, right? Like, I mean, maybe it does. Who knows? I haven't gotten to the end, but like, it just doesn't feel that way. But within all of this, there's something really interesting that's not being touched on. And it reminds me a little bit of 2018's God of War, where that game existed fully to be almost like a retrospective and kind of an introspective look at that franchise. Like, hey, Kratos has always been like a real piece of shit the whole like franchise as a whole has not aged well it's extremely problematic kratos as a dude is like not a very interesting character and is this version of hyper masculinity that has like aged wildly poorly very quickly and i feel like this game inches towards that and doesn't commit and that's the kind of Mm. stuff that i think is really interesting and and is going unexplored there's a version of this story where you start to ask questions like, why does Master Chief answer every question with like two or three words? Like, why is that 
his MO. And, you know, we've learned in previous games that he was experimented on as a kid. There are a bunch of Spartans who came from this, like, really fucked up experimentation where, like, a bunch of kids were abducted from various human colonies and, and essentially turned into, like, Captain America via Super Serum, given the armor, all that stuff, you know? And he was the best of the best, which means that he is probably the most fucked up as a person. And I think that there's a lot of rich narrative territory to explore in that. There's a lot of, like, really interesting stuff that we could go into via his trauma from that via you know him being so connected to Cortana and Cortana essentially breaking bad and turning into like literally the universe's greatest villain like there's a lot of really interesting stuff to go explored and every time they start to get towards it they veer away from it and I I find that to be really frustrating because yeah, I I yeah. want that version of the story I think that that's fascinating I think that there's a if you really want this to be kind of like a reboot welcoming people back into Halo making John 117 a more interesting dude <laughs> is that his screen name yeah <laughs> Uh, making him a more interesting dude, I think, would make people more interested in seeing where his story goes next. Because the times in which he gives, like, any kind of speech, any kind of, like, hoorah, we're gonna go do it speech, it just comes off as, like, the most boring lines you could possibly write for the guy. Because it's all just this, like, hyper-masculine, like, aren't I a badass version of, of a space marine, which is already a trope that has become tired since Halo 1 has come out, you know? Yeah, I also think, like, I imagine playing this, like, after Mass Effect, like, that stands out even more. Dude, that, like, you're damn right it does. Shepard, I mean... It's a bit unfair to compare anything to Mass Effect, but I do think like when you're going for that sort of like sci-fi Captain America tone, yeah, like any version of Shepard is like more believable in that role. And I think a lot of it is because you know that like there are stakes in mm-hmm. those games. Like those those games are just constantly showing you and broadcasting stakes. And I think that you have sort of a choir of characters who reflect on who they think Shepard is like that. That entire trilogy is about who Shepard is and who they are trying to be and what are they doing in the galaxy. So it's a very different mission than Halo, which like you could argue the mission of Halo is more mechanical and more about the multiplayer. Um, And the story kind of is more of an afterthought potentially. But there's a world in which you have both, like you're saying. And uh, it would be interesting to see like there be more introspection in that way. It doesn't have to be a total dissection, but just like something else other than like Uncle Sam ad for the army or something. Yes. Yeah, totally. And I feel I feel like there there are glimpses of that potentially. And who knows, maybe further into the story, that'll start to pay off a little bit. But at the moment, it seems like they're only interested in scratching the surface and they're not really interested in going deep um, in, in the ways that I think the character kind of demands. Considering like Master Chief is one of the most prevalent video game characters like ever, right? Like, yeah. I could probably ask my dad if he knows who Master Chief is and he would say yes. <laughs> and he's know? like, John 117? Yeah, his favorite food is potato bread. <laughs> Went to college with him. That guy is a snooze fest. <laughs> I just think it's remembering that Halo 3's launch was like a huge multimedia event. Like it was it was yeah. a gigantic thing. Everyone knew that Halo 3 was coming out when it was coming out. It kind of reached that same like Grand Theft Auto level of like every time a new Grand Theft Auto comes out, there are a billion and one news stories about how this is going to be the biggest thing ever and like your parents ask you about it and halo 3 reached that level when it came out so people know who master chief is and it's interesting to have a character be this kind of like
like one note i think also be that huge um well i mean it's kind of weirdly like mario i, I mean was, i think I was, uh, as i was saying that sentence i was thinking about mario i was like you know what <laughs> maybe it's perfect i mean i remember like even before like the first xbox in what 2001 mm-hmm. that coming out with halo like pretty much instantly master chief was sort of like the mascot of that console yeah. and it was interesting because like at that point i mean i was i was only 11 but at that point like Sony had yet to find like like that was an era where every video game console like wanted a mascot and Sony was like I don't know Crash Spyro uh, Jack and Dexter we yes. don't know Xbox comes out and has this sort of like lightning in a bottle release with Halo and Master Chief is just so recognizable like on a character design level mm-hmm. that like I think John has been riding the design of his outfit over his personality for decades yes <laughs> so. I guess the big thing is like, okay, if I feel this way about the story, why is this, you know, one of the best games I played this year? And the answer is just the combat and the open world and and the yeah. strides that they've made in turning this into a game that feels like it could be kind of endless, I think is really, really, really smart design. Because you have all the stuff that you've always liked about Halo. You know, all the guns feel amazing. Driving around feels like shit in a fun way. (laughs) The AI is, like, very silly when it's on your team and, like, really, like, brutally hard when it's the enemies, uh, which I really appreciate. But on top of that, you have all these extra abilities, namely, and the one that everybody's talking about rightfully is the grapple hook that you get that allows you to pretty much hook onto any surface and pull yourself towards it and use that momentum to kind of fling yourself or like get closer to a thing once you upgrade that you you can upgrade that you know you get like upgrade points as you continue to play the game and if you upgrade the grapple once it makes it so the recharge time is essentially i don't know it's like a second or two uh so it means you can constantly grapple onto things so like say there's a building like a, a straight up building you can hypothetically grapple onto that building over and over and over again until you get to the top of it you can scale any surface in this game that is so wildly fun that it completely changes my relationship with halo's campaign and single player in in a way that i think is just like endless fun i haven't played any multiplayer since this came out because i find the single player so fun and it's all the grappling hook which is so funny that this one mechanic has like so wholly redefined how I think about Halo, but I don't think I could go back and play any of the other ones without the grappling hook because it's just like such a transformative experience. On top of the fact that you can use it to like, you know, I'm running through the woods and I can like grapple onto a tree and use it to launch myself, you know, like hundreds and hundreds of yards forward. You can also use it to grapple onto enemies and pull yourself towards them and then like whack them in the face. And one of the upgrades you get also allows you to uh, charge electricity through your grappling hook. So it shocks them them in place also i mean every time you do that it's rewarding and it's fun so once you attach all of that to like there are various collectibles all over the place you can get skill points you can use to upgrade things you can find cosmetics for your character in multiplayer out in the world in the single player there are like lord of the Rings, shadow of mordor style named enemies who have like special weapons that if you're able to beat them and their whole crew as they're roaming around the world you get that special weapon and you can like just kind of pick one up at any time whenever you want on top of there are like 
Far Cry, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn kind of enemy bases that when you take them over, like that allows you to call in vehicles into that space, et cetera, et cetera. There's like just countless reasons to wander around this world. And if at any time you get bored of them, you could just go and do a single player mission, which will take you into an enclosed space that just feels like classic ass Halo. So bouncing back and forth between those two versions of this game, I have found to be really, really, really fun in a way that I can't put down. It is kind of brilliant and uh i i don't know i feel like i'm eating my words i'm very surprised i'm very surprised at how much this is working for me because i i went in no i would i don't want to say with low expectations because you know they they've been touting this as like the big new step for halo like this is the foundation upon which the next i think they said decade of halo will be built upon oh wow and that yeah huge words right like that's a that's a huge thing to say and very few companies are able to say things like that and pull them off ironically bungie is maybe the other one that pulled it off with destiny where when destiny launched them and activision funnily enough were like this is you know a decade-long investment like we are going to be investing in destiny for the next 10 years and everybody was like that's nonsense but here we are i don't know close to 10 years between five and 10 years later uh and destiny is still very much going strong i do feel like halo infinite is that same thing i do feel like their multiplayer the the foundation of what we have right now with a couple refinements of which there have already been many in the few short weeks since it came out that will sustain esports for a long time that will sustain people like me who are just playing for fun for a long time as they continue to bring in more events and more kinds of strange game modes once forge mode is included and people can make their own game modes and make their own maps like that will be the bedrock of the halo multiplayer experience for a long time a lot of people were kind of leaning on the master chief collection as their halo experience which i found to be very disappointing because i loved halo 5 and i thought that was a step in the right direction but you know people love nostalgia especially our generation so i feel like the master chief collection was very much the thing and i think i think i don't know but i think people are moving over to halo infinite because it just feels fresh and retains that same like high school sitting in somebody's bedroom with four controllers plugged into an Xbox feeling. Um, And that that (laughs) is like that is so hard to pull off. And to have also pulled that off on the single player, I think is very, very, very impressive. And and it really, in my eyes, kind of speaks to the brilliance of the Xbox division. You know, when Bungie left and, and Microsoft retained the Halo IP saying, we're going to just build a whole studio from the ground up just to kind of like be the flag carriers for Halo. Like we're just going to build our own internal studio, our own first party internal studio just to handle Halo was a very smart decision instead of just like handing it to somebody else because this this is finally paying off for them. And I'm going to be honest, they fucked up a lot. <laughs> I think Halo Halo's 4 and 5 like did not work for them, but Infinite they finally got it right. And if there are going to be more campaigns added onto this, as they've been alluding to, you know, whether they're uh, continued in an open world environment or if they are like more classic closed off corridor halo, I'm excited about whatever's next. And I'm excited to finish this campaign. I'm excited to finish the fight, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> it's re- it's really, wow. really, really fun. I will say my one gripe, my one big gripe about the Halo Infinite campaign outside of the story stuff is that there are about, I want to say, two to two and a half hours of like just kind of like boring closed corridor missions before you get into the open Mm. world, which as much as I enjoy those, as much as I enjoy that version of Halo, that's not why I'm playing Halo Infinite. 
And I, I think it's a little bit of a misstep to start the game, which is touted as this big open world exploration of, of possibly like a new version of what Halo can be with two to three hours of what you already know Halo is. It's kind of a it's kind yeah. of a strange move. But um, once you get past that and you're in the open world and you're on Zeta Halo, it's really fun. It's really, <laughs> really fun. That sounds awesome. I'm so glad you're having such a good time. I haven't seen you this like glowing about something in a while. It's cool yeah. to see. I'll say, th- I'll say this much about my game of the year list. Uh, <gasps> I have to imagine that Halo Infinite's going to be on it. Yeah, I would be surprised if it wasn't. But, <laughs> but one of the things that I've been most interested in is this year, more than any other year, as much as I think people are talking about this year as, as one that is a little bit less than, you know, in terms of releases or like there's no clear standout, et cetera, et cetera. This year has given me the most games that I have played like this, like literally binge played, you know, which is an experience that I thought I was kind of past as like a person. <laughs> like, I, I think I think we all have those memories of, you know, in middle school and high school and stuff, getting a new game and just sitting down and playing it for like 10 hours straight. Yeah, that distant memory, Brendan, uh, <laughs> that distant memory of, you know, not last year with Dragon Quest Eleven, yeah. or like any other game. I mean, I'm joking. No, no, I, you're, no you're right. Like it, it does yeah. happen occasionally, but I don't think it's happened as many times in one year sure. as it has in this sure. year for me. Most of my list is comprised of stuff that I played in like two sittings, which is really wild. I just didn't think that that was like still the vibe. Uh, but here we are. I find that if a game like really gets its hooks in me, I will like there, there's two like large versions of a game experience I have now for the show, especially it's like there's the game that I play for like two hours like or just enough time to like be able to confidently speak to my first impressions. And then there's the like, oops, I, I finished it this week and yeah. I'm going to uh, just bleed about it on this next episode. <laughs> But I, I know what you mean. I think especially like when you're a kid, you just have more time and you can also like 100% a game that you may not even like that much. Mm-hmm. Like that That's that's the memory for me is like looking at every corner of like Star Fox Adventure, like a game I did not care for. <laughs> but I'm like, well, I have it. So I got to do yes. everything. Yeah. Yeah. Weirdly enough, a lot of games have have like almost demanded that this year in in mm. ways that I wasn't really expecting. And Halo Infinite feels like one of them. Like I, w- I, I don't think I'm going to do everything in this game because I, I do find myself at this point focusing more on the story than anything else because there are a couple of loose narrative threads that I'm interested to pull on and see if they're actually going to pay off in any way but i don't know i'm just very impressed by it i will say just getting back to the camp thing this game gets so close to being full camp and doesn't commit and that really bums me out because again i don't think they know and sometimes not knowing it's camp is the best way to achieve camp like skyrim yeah yes but in this case, I think I think I want them to know. I think I want them to know and to yeah. just push a little bit harder because the main antagonists of this game are so boring and they keep giving speeches that are just so like <laughs> so rote. <laughs> it really it really bums me out. I just want them to be a little bit goofier. Uh yeah. because the big bad is like this big like brute guy who has swords on his chest who just like talks about the mm. glory of the banished and et cetera, et cetera, and like <laughs> We're going to we're going to capture Zeta Halo and the humans will die. Blah, 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 blah. But it's like there's there's no interesting motivation for anyone. 
I, I, I think. Uh, and that, that bums me out. So in, in absence of that, I would want the characters to be a little bit more bombastic, you know? Like, why not a grunt? You know, like, what if a grunt was the leader? How, that'd be much more fun. I actually, so like, they have these roaming named enemies wandering around, and one of them was a grunt, and I was so excited that there was like this grunt who has this, you know, huge rap sheet. Like, so your version of Cortana in this game is called Weapon, and she's like listing off all the horrible things that this grunt has done, and I walked up to him and I shot him once and he died immediately. And it was like one of the funniest things that has happened in this game for me. Yeah. And I kind of want more of that energy in this game. You know, like I don't, I, yeah. I think that it would be more fun if the game was a comedy. Uh, but <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get that. Halo Infinite, a riot, said Brendan. <laughs> there was an era where like every review, especially for books. Yes. Every review would be like, this was hilarious. And it yeah. like wasn't at all. Like there was definitely an era where you had to pretend something was a comedy for it to sell. Right. <laughs> really bizarre. And now there are no comedies. I, I'm trying to remember what book it was, but it was like every review was like, I laughed until I cried. I think it was a heartbreaking work of staggering genius, which like has funny moments. Yeah. But it's not a comedy. <laughs> yeah. I think they meant that very, very literally with that book. I laughed. And, and then the next scene I cried. I laughed yeah, until I read the next scene and then I cried. I laughed and then I wept. Yes. <laughs> I remember I remember um, weeping reading that on vacation. And my parents being like, yeah. are you okay? We're in, we're in the Caribbean. <laughs> I was like, I just, that was really, was that also high school? That was a high school book. Right? Yeah. It came, it came out when we were in high, high school. school. Yeah. I read it yeah. much later. Yeah. That was the era of Halo and Dave Eggers. <laughs> <laughs> before he wrote the circle. <laughs> yeah. Right. Anyway, I'm excited. This is the last episode before we record game of the year. So it has oh, kind yeah. of like a Christmas Eve energy. You know, there's like us dreaming of what will be. I want to be in the Garden State, in the city of brotherly love, mm-hmm. in the Big Apple yeah. very soon. I'm excited. Although we're recording it in Philly. Right, the city of brotherly love. Oh, is that what they call that? I didn't know that. Did you think that was Jersey? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know. I, I had never heard it before. Uh, I didn't know what you were alluding to. Uh, okay, should we take a break? That sounds good to me. Okay, we'll talk about more video games after this. See you soon. Welcome back, dear listener, and also Stephen. Hey, Stephen. Oh, hey, what's going on? We got an email from a listener is what's going on. Oh, hell yeah. I'd like to read it out. Sure. I've, I've edited the email slightly for time, but the email reads as follows. Hello, my name is Tyler. Hello, Tyler. I've been a fan of the podcast for a while now and wanted to send this email partly on a whim to thank you for the content and partly because you guys have been talking about some League of Legends recently. I think you may have missed out on a fun part of it. I noticed you talking about the lack of lore in Wild Rift and highly suggest you check out Legends of Runeterra, the mobile card game. It has a good amount of lore to be found in card descriptions and from a gameplay standpoint in there as well. Imagine if Hearthstone took on more aspects from Magic the Gathering than it already does and refined them even more while at the same time dropping the pay to win aspect. The only way to get new cards is by getting experience by playing matches. Either way, thanks for the amazing content and hopefully much more to come. A fan of the show, Tyler. First of all, Tyler, thank you so much for the email. Yeah, thanks for the kind email. That means a lot. Into the Aether Podcast at gmail.com. If you would like to email us, uh, if you don't remember that very long email address, you can go to Into the Castle Online, which just has a button you can <laughs> click. Uh, SurferGuy6 <laughs> at Rocketmail. <laughs> Yeah, so you and I have been talking a lot about League of Legends recently, which is interesting, um, you know, because Wild Rift came out earlier this year. You and I played a yes. bunch of it. You've played a lot, a lot, a lot of it. I, I can't level up anymore in Wild Rift. That's just a metric That's incredible. of how much I've played it. Yeah, That's amazing. I can no longer level up. I don't think they foresaw yeah. this happening. 
Um, anyway, so you and I played a bunch of Wild Rift, which I think was notable in that it just like took League of Legends, a very opaque, difficult to get into thing and made it like very accessible and put it on mobile, which was kind of a, a lens by which to funnel more people into that world. That said, there are a lot of very interesting characters in that game that kind of go mostly unexplored. You don't really know who they are. You just know like the things that they shout out as they do their cool moves. Yeah. So it's a conversation I've been having a lot because like Arcane is obviously this big hit and uh, a lot of people will preface their praise of Arcane with, I don't know anything about League of Legends, but I like this. Yeah. The truth is that most people don't know anything about League of Legends. <laughs> exactly. It's like, mo- like all you really get while playing the game is like every now and then your character will go like, I love of killing things like that's it right that's all you get yes so i I think it's worth mentioning that i think riot also realizes that a lot of people really like these characters but don't know anything about them and have been trying to provide as many avenues across as many different genres as possible to get people into the world of league of legends because i you know all of it will funnel people into playing the actual game whether that be like classic league of legends or now wild drift which is like a new baseline for people and and that has come in multiple forms the ones that you and i have talked about recently are ruined king which we talked about i think that was last week which is a kind of like diablo-esque dungeon crawler with turn-based combat very classic rpg in that way and also also Arcane, which is a TV show that is now available on Netflix, which is like if you don't even like video games, you could still engage with League of Legends, which I think is like probably the biggest swing and the biggest home run, I, I would say, of all the stuff that they've rolled out. And I, I just wanted to mention that because you and I were talking about doing some bonus episodes recently for the Patreon, one of which was going to be the Game Awards, which we've decided to not do. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't have to get into why. But like if you watch the Game Awards, you probably know why uh, I didn't <laughs> because I was at the Met seeing the opera, which I can't believe is a real thing that happened i i i wished i was at an opera the fact that the game awards is opera length and most of it was yeah. not opera-esque is a sin yeah i got out of a showing of porgy and bess and you had just finished watching the game awards yeah <laughs> wild there anyway. was a point where i forgot what i was even looking forward to like i literally lost it was as if the phantom thieves stole my heart and i forgot what i wanted <laughs> I lost all desire. Okay, look, we don't have to talk about the Game Awards, but I'll say one, I'll say my one <laughs> overarching thing, having caught up on what happened at the Game Awards, is that for a thing that is supposed to be a celebration of video games, they sure did devote a lot of time to people who are actively harmful to the industry of video games and also ignore the actual awards, which is the whole point of the Game Awards. Yeah, that's very concisely said. Those are the two like pressing issues with it. Yes, I was very surprised, especially because I yeah. think that Jeff has been pretty good about striking that balance in the past. And this year yeah. seems like a huge miss. We were going to do a bonus episode about the Game Awards. We've decided to not do that for the reasons described above. But I think we are going to do a bonus episode about Arcane, the first season, yeah. uh, because you finished watching it. I am going to finish watching it tonight. I have one episode left. I'm very excited. It is extremely good. So uh, for those of you who back the Patreon, you will get access to that. Patreon.com slash into the cast. And... I think this this game, Legends of Runeterra, is like this weird ethereal thing that you and I both missed out on. I just happen to have seen a lot of people referencing it recently because I think there are a lot of really like diehard Legends of Runeterra fans who are like almost upset that it's not being mentioned amongst this swirl of other League of Legends related media that's coming out, including Tyler. And I think now having played it, Tyler and the many people I've seen talking about it are absolutely correct. What is Legends of Runeterra? It's a a uh, mobile and tablet. I think you can also get it on PC. Yeah. But it seems like it was made for mobile and, and tablets in mind. I would say 
I enjoyed playing it on my iPad the most because I find it a little bit hard to read the cards on my phone. But either way, uh, it's a very like Hearthstone, Magic the Gathering-esque card game that features characters and settings and and just everything from uh, League of Legends. I think it's really well done. It came out last year. I heard like nothing about it. And, and honestly, like I, I think I wouldn't have had an interest in it you know, prior to being wild rifted, I, I don't know if I would want to pick up uh, Riot's version of Hearthstone. I don't think that would be on my radar. Yeah. Most most companies, when they make their version of Hearthstone, I'm uninterested in because I'm not yes. even interested in Hearthstone anymore, much less yeah. somebody else's take on it. I, Hearthstone and Magic the Gathering are two things that I like. No, no shame if you're into either. I have a lot of yeah. friends who love one or both, but like it's literally like if I started smoking, like I can't like I, I, I've chosen to avoid that because yeah. there was an era where I spent like way too much money on Hearthstone. That was like one Big of the fame. Yeah. one of the predatory games that like really got me. Mm. and magic i also like got i i think magic is a is definitely less predatory in it's you know way that it's marketed but at the same time if you play magic and you play it seriously every like year there's a new standard deck and you'll have to get new cards yeah so like which was my big bummer with hearthstone that was my big thing with hearthstone was like i dumped so much money into all these cards that are now useless arbitrarily uh because yeah. i decided there's a new season of hearthstone etc cetera, etc cetera. and i i not being a card game person which i think most people who played hearthstone at the time were not i think it was like very much an entry point into that genre for a lot of people sure. like myself that was a thing that i think most people didn't even know was a possibility that like you could dump 500 dollars into cards and have all of that end up being useless is a huge huge bummer um i also want to mention that i did try and get into magic the gathering because they released arena this year i think it was over the summer and i know a lot of people who play magic and i was like i should try this out i should see if i can get into it and i like absolutely could not uh the tutorial yeah. did not work for me at all i felt like i didn't learn anything i was like way out of my depth i just did not have a fun time doing it so uh again downloading and playing legends of runeterra really like more out of curiosity than out of excitement i think with my experience with magic is i i got really into it at the tail end of college with like my housemates and it was very fun mm -hmm. playing with them yeah but then i think i shared the story of when i went to a comic book store to go to friday night magic which is like this sort of wizard sponsored event every Friday at a comic book store near you. Mm -hmm. And I got destroyed by a guy who went by judge and had like a mat and like sleeves for like he shuffled with one hand. He looked at me and said upkeep and I was supposed to know what that meant. It was yeah. very intimidating. That was the point where I realized I could either stop or keep going. And mm -hmm. I chose to stop. <laughs> um, but I think, and I mentioned this actually, I think last week in that there's like, uh, when they design magic cards, they sort of have like three player bases in mind of like the, the players who like, like the flashy big cards, the ones who like want the most effective strategy and the ones who want to like, who want to express themselves creatively uh, via how they build the deck. Yeah. And I actually think I've definitely always been that type of player. Like I I love making decks more than I like playing them cuz I mm -hmm. like thinking about like what's the theme? I love a lot of the artwork on the cards. Like a lot of great artists work for Magic. Yeah. So I think that was also like a appeal of Hearthstone was like deciding like what theme I wanted to do, like what hero I wanted to play as. Anyway, Legends of Runeterra really does like I think take both aspects of what I love and erases a lot of the like bullshit. I think most notably it's like low bar but it's one of the least like pay-to-win predatory games like this I've seen. Yeah. Like Tyler said in, in their email, 
the game you only get cards by playing it and the game makes it very clear that like the only things that seem to cost money are like cosmetic stuff so there's like skins for cards and there's like stuff that can be on the board but um you're really just like getting cards by playing and there's so many modes to play there's like really fun adventure modes where you play like kind of as one of the characters and that's where you get much more of the lore so like actually the first campaign the game kind of like makes you play through is with jinx and vi who are the two leads of the show arcane um but it's very jarring to see how they're depicted in legends of Ruterra <laughs> versus arcane because like jinx is in the games even in wild rift and and also in Runeterra, very much like a harley quinn type character like even the setting kind of has like a gotham vibe to it yeah uh and you know her character's fun uh she has a really like you know, interesting design, but it's very much like, let's blow stuff up. And then in the show, it's like an Aronofsky-esque portrayal of like a villain in the making. Uh, so, you know, different different vibes. I mean, the, the tone is very light in Runeterra, which I appreciate. I like that it's like, it's definitely campy. It's definitely aware of how silly a lot of the characters are. Like mm-hmm. Jinx is a character who doesn't take herself seriously. Right. And the characters that do are equally silly, which I think is fun. Yes, you know? totally. So I think that... You play through that tutorial and you unlock stuff as you go. And that that kind of adventure mode part of it almost feels like Slay the Spire in a way. Because there's sort of like a branching path map structure. And there are like different beats where like you can choose what new card you get. You can heal up. Stuff like that. Then there's also a mode where you can just play against the AI. And like I've actually been doing mostly that because you get a lot of experience. Like they give you a lot of starting decks. And the way the decks work, it's kind of like Hearthstone where... Like in Hearthstone, for example, you're making a deck for a hero. So like you are playing as a hero. Um, Every hero has a unique ability and there are cards that only that hero can use. And then there are a bunch of neutral cards that any hero can use. So a lot of the strategy in making a deck is thinking about like, how do I kind of mesh those neutral cards with this hero card? In Runeterra, you have even more freedom because you're not really tethered to one champion there are cards that represent the league characters called i think they're called champions and they're just another card in your deck so you you usually will want to like build strategy around them and usually it seems like most decks will have two um so early on when i was playing through jinx's campaign she has a passive ability where every time you play a like minion i think they're called the uh, followers or something but yes anytime you play like a creature it deals one damage to the enemy's nexus which is like the health that you're trying to deplete and then I had another champion that like made a bunch of spiders. So like combining oh, yeah. that with with the like every time a spider comes on board, it does one damage. Like I really immediately saw that like synergy. And th- I think it's really nice. That they, they kind of position you to see that right away, because I think a lot of games like Magic and like Hearthstone, it's up to you to like figure that out ahead of time. Yeah. Or like watch a lot of YouTube videos or something. Yes, exactly. I like that they just sort of show you right away. And it's also like a really fun presentation. Like the art is really fun. There's a really interesting mechanic that I think is kind of what sets this game apart with the champion cards where every champion will essentially like evolve if you take certain actions. So Jinx, you know, has like attack and block like any other card and she levels up if your hand is empty, which encourages you to like constantly be playing like low cost spells and explosions, which fits her character and fits like the style of 
her combat. Right. Um, and when you have an empty hand, she evolves. And then like, you know, there's another ability. So every, every, there's another uh, character where it's like, if you've attacked a certain amount of times or like if enough creatures have died. So there's a lot of like kind of purposely vague level up requirements that like really encourage creativity. And I think that that's what I'm connecting with the most of this game is like, there's so much room for creativity that I'm really having a great time with it. Yeah. I'll say on, on my end, um, as somebody who, was very into Hearthstone and then bailed on it and has kind of been uninterested in playing card stuff outside of like a Slay the Spire. This is very much like Slay the Spire. Uh, yeah. I've been I've been really surprised, especially considering I was referencing Slay the Spire a lot talking about Ruined King. It does feel like a lot of people at Riot Games are playing Slay the Spire and are like pulling different oh, yeah. versions of inspiration from it, which I think is great. Don't get me wrong. Like totally. the way the way Ruined King's combat in the turn based style does feel like it's activating a lot of the Slay the Spire parts of my brain. This game is almost doing the inverse because the way the campaign structure is laid out is you go through and you're fighting a bunch of like predetermined enemies along a path that's kind of telling a loose story. And there are different branching paths in which you can fight different enemies at different times. Different paths will have like item shops or like healing wells or whatever. So you can heal your own nexus or buy stuff with the gold that you're acquiring. And every time you beat one of those enemies along that path you get essentially a a list of three rewards that you can choose from that are all randomly generated. So it'll be like, you know, take all the card, like if you have this card in your deck, take all of them and give them all plus one, plus one to health and, 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 uh, damage which is interesting i think that's really fun because that's activating the like roguelike side of my brain and will make me want to go and like replay jinx's story for example because not only will i have a different experience than i did the first time but on top of that i'll be leveling up my jinx deck which is like great for once i eventually get into multiplayer and it's interesting because i i've gone back and looked at the history of this game and it launched without this stuff i think i I think that's worth noting like the thing that you and i are talking about right now is a thing that was not present when the game launched and people already liked it a lot yeah this is a thing that was released as as uh legends of runeterra labs i think was like oh we're testing out this like adventure mode and now that's just the thing they start you with when you download the game and i think that's a really brilliant way of doing it because it gets you to go into at least through the jinx story at, at the top it gets you to learn all these mechanics one by one is you're talking about the synergy between having two different champions in your deck at the same time or even just the the basic mechanics of the attack and block system which i i'll be honest are a little bit more mechanically dense than i was expecting but once you played it enough times you kind of get the hang of it essentially it's like a pendulum that swings back and forth where one person is allowed to attack at one time and the other person who is not able to attack at that point is just mounting defenses um and you just kind of swing back and forth between those two so like how how much do i want to focus on blocking the attacker's attacks and how much do i want to focus on keeping enough minions so i can attack at full force next round i think it's a really interesting um kind of exercise to to put your brain through like it's some interesting paces to be running through over and over again and it evolves constantly depending on what upgrades you've gotten on that run who your second champion is because you can pick one out of a group uh, as uh, you continue to play through the campaign so i think it's really fun i haven't done any of the multiplayer yet i've done like none of that stuff at all because i'm just having so much fun going through the campaigns and there are tons of them i mean there's like one for every champion so far so i did jinxes and the options were like do you want do jinxes a second time and like continue going through there do you want to i think yasuo was one of them who is one of the characters from ruined king was one of the choices yeah which is like completely unrelated and then vi was the third one in which you are doing exactly the opposite of jinxes campaign you're just playing as vi because jinxes ends with vi and vi's ends with jinxes so i was like cool i want to do vi's i want to see the opposite side of this like lion king one and a half like i want to do that (laughs) um 
And that's been really fun because Vi is a complete place completely differently because her whole thing is just doing as much damage as possible all at once. So you're just like essentially spending as much time taking as much damage as you can until you can output all of it and wipe out the enemy in like one fell swoop. Because, for example, Vi levels up mid game by having done, I think, 15 damage to, to any enemy at any point. So that'll happen pretty quickly considering how powerful Vi is. Uh, and that that's a completely different style of play than what Jinx is, which, as you're saying, is like just throwing out as many cards as possible at all times. And I think... I'm excited to continue exploring the different champions and see what's going on there in a way that I'm not even too confident about when I'm playing like League of Legends. Like when I'm playing Wild Rift, I'm like very much it's ironic that all of this stuff is happening, like centered around Jinx and Vi, because those are the two characters I play as in Wild Rift, which I I had no idea that they were going to become like a big deal, I guess, this year. But those are the two characters I gravitated towards most when I was playing Wild Rift initially. And I don't feel that way about playing Wild Rift. Like, I don't feel like I can just go pick up another character and, like, have a good time as easily as I can with Legends of Runeterra, which just feels like both a storytelling and mechanic showcase of, like, you're going to have fun no matter what you do here. And I think it's worth... Oh, and it's all free. Yeah, right. You get a free <laughs> battle pass. You're constantly rewarded. Yeah, all the stuff you can buy are cosmetics, just to be clear. Like, all the stuff you buy are, like, new boards that you can play on, new card backs, new, like, little uh, pets that'll just, like, sit on the board as you're playing. None of it is cards, which is kind of shocking. I mean, it's really cool. I'm glad that that's the case, because I yeah I felt so burned by Hearthstone yeah. that it's nice to see Riot getting it right. And just to be clear, like... Look, Blizzard has its share of shit going on right now. Riot also has a share of shit going on right now. Like yes. Riot is also not a great company at the moment and are under the same investigations by the same group that Blizzard yes. is under. I just want to make that very yeah. clear because we're talking a lot of we're talking about a lot of Riot game stuff, but I do appreciate that for a company that is bringing in as much money as Riot is, they're not being predatory with their microtransactions on top of all of that. Yeah, that's the thing like with even Wild Rift too, like these two games yes. could have been like poisonous in their like, like mm-hmm. microtransactions and like probably would have worked. I think Pokemon Unite, unfortunately, is like what it could have been in like a worst case scenario. Yeah. It's one of the reasons I stopped playing that game. Yeah. Yeah. But I think another another great thing about Runeterra is that, um, like you said, you haven't played multiplayer. There's a version of this game where like you only play against the AI. Like I think yeah. I will primarily play against the AI in the campaigns. And there's also really cool modes called challenges where like yes. it's not about playing to win, but they're, they give you a specific goal and a certain amount of time with certain cards. It's sort of like a very like a uh, microcosmic lesson of strategy where it's like, okay, this character character like whenever you play her like blades appear on the board and it's like how do you win in this turn uh and like i think it was like you also have a card that switches who's attacking so essentially like you can make your attack phase the opponent chooses who's blocking who and then before you commit to the attack you can play another card that like switches yeah so it's like you can attack with your higher attack character and the enemy is blocking like a one one blade yeah so the idea is like and I, i think what i love about this game is that the card strategies mirror how the characters play so that character is like an evasive sword fighter. Mm-hmm. So of course it's like you would throw a blade to distract and then get in the hit. Yeah. I think that's like a very cool way totally. to, to visualize. And there's also like a lot of fun animations and stuff. Like it's definitely going after what Hearthstone was doing, but I think even better. Like I think there's yeah. like more visual flair going on than just like, Psh, ooh, you know, like yeah. a lot of And that's the, that's the thing you like, and I were talking about yeah. off the show a little bit when we were talking about, you know, if we wanted to bring this game up or not on this episode was like, I, I've played a lot of games like this. I've tried a lot of games like this uh, because I, you know, as much as I 
wanted to kind of steer clear of these like microtransaction heavy Hearthstone clones. I'm always curious to see if somebody's going to get it right. And I mean, this is as right as you can get it because the biggest thing I think that a lot of those games are missing is the charm and is the like devotion to detail. Uh, And that's very much what is going on here. I mean, like even in Hearthstone, just being able to like click on the board and have like little shit happen. (laughs) Like, you know, like you can click on a plant and it goes like, Oh, I forgot about that. Like that kind of stuff. Like I love that. I love like those little details are what made Hearthstone so engrossing. I think totally. And those are here in spades. On top of that, there's all this great voice acting and all this great writing happening as you're continuing to make your way through the campaigns. And I've gotten to a point now where the campaigns are starting to get a little bit difficult, which is fun. Like I've lost yeah. a couple times. And that's, I don't know, as I was making my way through the tutorial, I was like, wow, I'm like really getting this. Not that I feel like I'm good at it, but like, I was like, wow, I'm really getting it. I can't wait to like get to the point where it gets challenging. And now it has, and it's really fun. It's not challenging in a way that's off-putting, challenging in a way that makes me want to keep coming back. Like I haven't finished Vi's campaign yet uh, because it's, kind of difficult but it's really fun yeah i think there's like a really rich single player experience here which i did not expect yeah and you know i'm sure i'll play a couple matches online but i'm glad that's not the entirety of the experience because yeah. like you know that eventually like there's always a point where people just get too good or like yeah. it's not as active or whatever so i'm glad there's like plenty of game alongside that here yeah I could see myself being one of the people that only does single player, honestly, Um, as much as I would like to try multiplayer at some point. I I think the single player stuff is what's going to keep me around, which is uh, it's cool. I would love to play a match, though. Once we're like both more comfortable with it, I would love to play against. Oh, you and me. Yeah. Okay. sure. That sounds great. Yeah. I'll bring my iPad when we hang out. Okay. cool. Yeah. I'll bring my iPad. (laughs) Everyone's like, where are we going out tonight? No, we're playing Runeterra. (laughs) I have been playing on my phone, though. I've been playing. I played on my iPad for a bit. I went through the tutorial on my iPad and then I started playing on my phone. I, I've been surprised at how well it plays on my phone, just to be. Clear. Oh, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I did have an experience last night, which was like as as fucked and as in the well as possible. But we were watching Arcane and my partner and I were both playing Legends of Runeterra on our phones while watching <laughs> Arcane, which is like cursed. I feel like Percy would be really good at this game. She's yeah. the one to beat, you know, yeah, yeah, as I, Paul Hollywood would say. I think she'll probably be very good at it. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's it's a really fun time. I think I would recommend it if you like are looking for, I think, you know, there's the term deck builder, but then there's like the collectible card game. And I feel like this is like definitely the collectible card game to get if you don't want to spend money. <laughs> yeah. And also for all the positives we just highlighted, I think it's surprisingly good. I also don't think you need like like a lot of the League of Legends stuff we've been highlighting. I don't think you need to know who these characters are to enjoy it either. They're just like they're they're all kind of filling fun archetypes in a way. Yeah. So, you know, you're not going to be like, who's the pirate? You know, like you're just going to be like, yeah, there's a pirate. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Anyway, Legends of Runeterra. Uh, <laughs> that's it. Tyler, thank you for your email. Uh, it got thank us to you. check out a thing that we like. Uh, so that's nice. I, I always like kind of building upon previous episodes. I think that's like always a fun thing when we get to do it, you know, and, and being yeah. able to talk about Wild Rift and then Ruined King. And now this, I think, is painting an interesting story of a company that's like really trying to funnel people into League of Legends uh, and they don't really care how. I don't know if that's the goal, though. I honestly think that's that kind of what I mean. A... I mean, like, I don't I don't th- I don't think it's all funneling people into Wild Rift and like baseline League of Legends. I think they just want people engaging with the IP at all. Yes, exactly. Exactly right. I think they all want it to stand on 
on its own. Yeah. You know, it's all yeah. working, which is very surprising because <laughs> I think a lot of companies try and do this kind of thing. And usually they fall flat on their face with their first attempt. It's very rare to succeed at all attempts the way that Riot has so far. Yeah. And I think it's because they're all kind of going after a different tone. You know, the tone of Runeterra is like very cartoony and welcoming. And the tone of Arcane is like, it's just really, I mean, I think a lot of people have used the term YA to describe the tone of it, mm, but I think yeah. it's also not, I think in the US we're still very conditioned to make a lot of animation like for kids. Like there's like a tendency to like not want to go to darker places with animation. Yeah. And I honestly, like, I know there's plenty of examples of Western animation doing just that, but I think in the mainstream light, Arcane is like maybe one of the first that's like not afraid to not pull its punches. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of shocking moments of that show that I'm excited to talk about yeah yeah i'm excited too um it's fucking good it's good gaming <laughs> um i'm just i'm on riot's website just looking at the other stuff that they have and i always forget that they also have valorant which is another like, oh, huge yeah. hit that is i think unrelated to league of legends but maybe not maybe it is related somehow i think it's unreli- i think it's a new series yeah. but it's a similar thing where it's like a character driven yeah it's like it's like their overwatch basically yeah yeah uh, that's very cool yeah maybe one day we'll play it they do have a game uh for switch called hextech mayhem uh which is a game about ziggs and uh heimerdinger it's like a side scroll. Uh, i know who both of them are yeah <laughs> You got I know who, me. I know who one of them me, is now, which is wild. <laughs> yeah, he's he's got a great role in Arcane. Yeah. Ziggs is uh, in Wild Rift a lot. I hear him go, bombs away, a lot. Oh, that guy. Yeah, I know that guy. Yeah. Oh, see? <laughs> look, look at what's happened to us. That's the nerf this of, of Wild Rift. <laughs> <laughs> right, should we, we, should we get on. out of here? I, yeah. I feel sick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's take a break. Once I'm slapping you with Ziggs, Lori, we got to move on to something yeah. else. Oh, that's the thing I wanted to mention. First of all, <laughs> I haven't engaged with the lore of this game at all, which is the whole reason that Tyler wrote the email to us. But I haven't even checked that out yet. Like, I am I am interested in doing that eventually, but I have not engaged with it at all because I found the gameplay to be so fun that I forgot the reason I downloaded the thing in the first place. So I think that's my next step. I guess in the campaigns, you are getting a stronger sense of like the settings and like what's going on in the world. At totally. Least. Yeah. But yeah, there's there's probably more to dig. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's like card descriptions and stuff. Like every card has a whole bunch of lore attached to it. Um, so I think there's like a lot of uh there's a lot of stuff you can glean from those cards. That was my favorite thing about magic was the weird like uh flavor quotes. Mm-hmm. My favorite was uh Redwood Tree Folk. It was just this like Groot-esque tree punching an elf in the face. And the quote was um and you would strip the bark of a tree folk, a Lanwar expression meaning, are you nuts? Anyway, uh, let's move on. I'm looking at it right now. Wow. There's all, there's there's two Redwood Tree Folk. The like I think the early 2000s are is the punch, but there's also like a very funny yeah. Like I'm looking at this other one. 70s 70s Hobbit animation looking tree, kind of giving a weird, almost King Dedede like yeah sideways expression at the camera. Wow. In the heart of the Lanwar, the magic is so strong that trees cannot stay rooted. Miri of the Weatherlight. And you would strip the bark of a tree, folk? Yeah, I was... God, I was right. <laughs> we'll be right back with more it's video games. It's a 3-6 summon tree, folk, for five mana, which honestly, in, in, a, in a modern magic match, would get you laughed at. Uh-huh. It is not worth spending five mana on oh. this 3-6 oh. creature with nothing oh, else. No. <laughs> oh, no. Mana. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. 
Uh, I'm excited to be here. I So to be clear, I didn't really, I didn't have a, a ton on my plate this week to bring other than Runeterra. And I think I mentioned last week that like I've kind of been purposely playing less games just to kind of like prepare for Goaty. A lot of my time with games has been like revisiting stuff from this year, playing Skyrim, uh, <laughs> and like also just sort of like getting further into games that that I've been enjoying from this year that I think are candidates. Um, so I've been playing a lot more of SMT. I've been playing a lot more of other games, stuff like mm-hmm. that. But also just haven't been playing as much this week for the first time in a while. So today I was like, I do want something new. I like our format. I like that we're not beholden to anything. So I was like, let me go back into the N64 library on the Switch. It's like, we have it. It's here. It had a really kind of goofy launch i feel yeah like it came out and there was already like there's already like debate on whether or not it was worth the price and then it came out and and to be completely frank it was like less than impressive in a lot of ways yeah like the the uncertainty of how much this will be updated the fact that it's like a recurring subscription i got it and like i i don't you know for me personally i i thought like why not my mantra is essentially like if there's any form of game preservation by Nintendo, I will I will throw my money at that, even if it's not ideal. Yeah. Um, but I understand truly why a lot of people were like disappointed with this. Yes, especially because like Ocarina of Time, arguably like the selling point of this whole bundle looks like crap. Like it really doesn't look good. Mm. the The game itself like runs fine, looks fine, but a lot of the environments in that game were kind of like. Final Fantasy 7 through 9, these pre-rendered backgrounds. Yeah. And those have been like heavily distorted by whatever the emulation process is. Mm. Now, to be fair, this is a game I know like the back of my hand. So anything different, I'll be like, <gasps> you know, it's like I, yeah. I know it so well. It's like going back to the house you grew up in and seeing your room ups- upside down or something. Yeah. But it's noticeable. Like it's noticeable. And it's also like this is something we're paying for. This is like the selling point, arguably, of this thing. And, you know, so I was kind of off put by that. I didn't really have a huge appetite to revisit a lot of the stuff. And 64 in general is a console and library that I am... I struggle to find the right words for my admiration for it because ultimately Mm. it's a great system. It undeniably had a lot of influence, but I think it's one of those consoles that had a bigger impact at the time than has aged well. There's something about that early 3D era that's really tough. Even going back to Mario 64, which we did for our Mario 3D All-Stars episode, like that game is still great, but it's hard to really justify playing that over Galaxy or like any of the more modern Marios because they just have done it better since. Yeah, I agree. So... I, I, I think that there are very few N64 games. As much as I love that library, I spent most of my life playing N64. Well until college, I was the guy that had an N64 in his room. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it was the cool thing to do, or at least yeah. I wanted to do it. There was a point in the early 2010s where like, I grew up with a Sega Genesis and then went from that to PS2. Like That was that was my gaming lineage. I, I had a Game Boy yeah. in between there. Um, so I was like into the Nintendo handheld stuff, but as far as consoles went, like that was what I had. So I missed this whole era of the NES and the Super Nintendo and the N64. And this point in the early 2010s where I was just like, I'm going to catch up on all of that. And I just like played all the stuff that I had missed out on. Um, I obviously still missed a bunch of stuff. There's like things that I still need to play. But I, I went and like tried to play as much as possible and the n64 was like my big focus i would say like i played a lot of n64 stuff from that era because at that point on pc emulating n64 was like 
pretty easy. Yeah. Which, you know, only makes it even weirder that it's not running very well on the Switch. Yeah. Not that we have to keep harping on that. But even then, I was like, I am liking this stuff, but I don't really know why it was as huge a deal. And I think that's mainly because I wasn't playing it at the time. Like, I would go to friends' houses and play Smash, and that was pretty much it. Like, I wouldn't. Yeah. I, I, I didn't play a lot of like Kirby 64 or Mario 64 at the time when it came out, which I'm sure would have blown me the fuck away. Yeah. But playing it all after the fact was like, yes, this is great. I actually, the first time I played uh, Mario 64 was on the DS. I played the DS version of it. Oh, no way. Which is a completely different experience, which we'll talk yeah. about on the DS bonus when that happens in the summer. Totally. I mean, I remember so distinctly, uh, like, because I, I grew up, like, my, my older sister had an NES, but I was, like, way too young to really engage with that. Like, I played a little bit of it, mm-hmm. but Super Nintendo was, like, my really early years. And then N64 was, like, I was seven until, like, 11, I guess. Like, really kind of formative childhood years. And I remember being seven, opening an N64 on, like, Christmas Day. You know, like, the fucking Nintendo commercial for it. And we had Mario 64 and Pilot Wings. And I, and I put in Mario 64. And it was just, like, the fact that it was a new dimension was, like, mind-blowing to a child. I remember mm-hmm. I... I was so excited to be able to go in any direction. I pushed forward on the D-pad and it didn't work. So you had to use the joystick because the N64 controller was like a nightmare. <laughs> and I started crying because I thought it was broken. Um, but then I realized it was the joystick. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. I, I think that's the perfect way to sum up a lot of those games. But I'm always like in our in our desire to always kind of look back on the history and like find the richness that is there. I'm like, what are the N64 games that I could kind of recommend to someone who's never played it before? Like, yeah. what are the ones that actually thrived on that system and that system alone mm-hmm. which brings me to a game that I was like kind of down in the dumps yesterday just feeling a little weird seasonal stuff and I had this eureka moment where I'm like wait a minute in my power right now I can play Star Fox 64 in my hands yeah. while I watch Great British Bake Off that's exactly <laughs> what I did oh but nice. I went back to Star Fox 64 which is a game that I adore and I had a feeling I'm like this game feels like one of the games that like thrived on the N64 and almost can't exist outside of it. Cause I think Star Fox before and after Star Fox 64 failed to really capture the vibe and like the success that 64 did. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is nostalgia, but I do think that like thinking about other rail shooters and what they do, I, I think about like Sinar or Wild Hearts in some ways you could classify as a rail shooter and it's essentially all atmosphere you know there are like concrete game elements to that game but it really is like a setting and a vibe and a mood accomplished visually and through the music and i would say res is a somewhat similar experience if Mm -hmm. you've ever played that yeah um that is like the the plot that you're never directly given is that Res is about a hacker who is hacking into a like supercomputer that controls society that has decided life isn't worth living. And the the game of Res is like convincing this AI that that life is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Which like I wish we got any of that in the game because that's like fascinating. <laughs> but um instead what you get is like a really cool rail shooter that is more Star Fox E, but it is still all about atmosphere and all about the music and the right. mood. That's right. one of one of my favorite games. I love Res. And I think Star Fox 64, going back to it, it's definitely more arcadey than those two. Um, there's a really interesting kind of score chase element to the game in that like you can beat the game in an hour, roughly. Uh, it's like an hour, hour and a half from start yeah. to finish. But there's so many variables still. Like there's still 
so much replay value in that game. The fact that every planet has a mission complete or mission accomplished that will alternate the path you go down. And the the sort of appeal of like, I want to get like the highest score possible on every planet. And, you know, it's not a narrative experience. It's Star Fox. <laughs> and it's so hard to even talk about this game because I feel like it's just become a meme. Like the the voices and the lines, like, you know, yeah. everything about it is like early 2000s webcomic to death. <laughs> But I think that there's still so much that's novel about it. And I think this is one of the games that I think is perfect on the N64 because I think that there's something about the polygonal design of the ships and of the environments of the enemies that like really contributes to the campy tone and to the kind of cartoony vibe of it. And the atmosphere of the space and of the creatures you're fighting like is harrowing. I think that that mix is really well done still. And I, I found it kind of weirdly gripping to go back to this game that like I've almost sort of written off in my head, but I want to sort of like reevaluate like is Star Fox 64 like actually good or is this a golden eye scenario where like we just played it growing up and it's actually aged like skim milk at this point yeah you you had texted me about a half an hour before we started recording because we were talking about what the stack for today was going to be and you were like believe it or not i'm bringing legends of runeterra and star fox 64 to this episode <laughs> and i had half hour to kill before we were recording so i was like you know what i'll load up star fox 64 i haven't played it since i don't know 2011 something like that like i'd, I'd be curious to check it out again and uh i played the first two missions and i think you're like right 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 on the money about it because i keep the thing that i've been considering about star fox for years but specifically today uh since playing it was like why hasn't this been a success as a franchise for nintendo like why did they keep trying to go back to this and have it fail over and over again and i think you're right that like just something about the art direction and the way they use the platform at the time was perfect and the fact that it doesn't feel like anything is really fully in your control everything feels like it's just kind of like slipping a little bit out of your hands is the excitement and as the games have become higher fidelity and also tighter from a control perspective, you actually lose what made Star Fox fun in the first place. Weirdly enough, like Star Fox is about being on the brink of death at all times. And yes. if you're playing a game that feels as tight as like whatever what was that fucking star wars game that came out earlier this year star wars squadrons oh, i think it might have been called yeah like if you're playing a game that feels that tight it's a different game at that point it is it is yeah. not the same kind of game anymore that star fox 64 was that was the thing that really struck me playing it today was like man this feels daunting at all times yeah it always feels like the skin of your teeth like even like knowing the game as well as i do and i love the fact that like all your you know peppy slippy and falco all have their own health and like yeah their ability to survive a mission also depends on you mm -hmm. like there's a lot of really novel ideas that i think we kind of took for granted especially like i love the fact that you can beat this game and not fight star wolf once depending on your <laughs> order yeah and there's another version where you fight star wolf and his crew three times and in the third fight their ships have exploded so much that parts of them are robotic yeah i think that that's so fucking cool like that little <laughs> detail and the fact that they're like do you like our new ships and it's like it's just so engaging still again i have a lot of fond memories with it but i do think that this is one of the games on this console that represents the system at its best mm -hmm. and it just feels so at home here and it's sort of just eternally replayable because it's always so charming it's so fun it's like just the right amount of challenging and it's always different there's there's a dynamicness to the order of planets that like even if i know what order i want to do it, it's always a little bit different and I think that that's something that a lot of games now go for more directly. And it just sort of like an, it, it blends in seamlessly 
with what this game is trying to do. I really think it's still one of a kind. Yeah. Um, I was like shocked at how much I still love this game. Yeah. I liked what I played of it for 30 minutes this morning. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'll keep going, but I, I liked I liked uh, what I had played. I will say my one little complaint about this on the Switch specifically is I really wish the controls were a little bit different. I think I think yeah. the controls. Yeah, it's a little weird. Some of the things they ask you to do, like backflips and stuff, are like one button combo too far from where they should be. Um especially considering the Switch Pro controller has more buttons than the N64 controller did. Like, it shouldn't be that hard. But anyway. I think there's a way to remap them. I'm not sure, though, but I think there's a way to remap the controls, like, in the overall menu. Yeah, you'd you'd have to remap the controls for the Switch total. (laughs) Which is, I think, the problem here. Yeah. Yeah, especially, like, I still haven't figured out, like, every now and then the left C button icon will ring. And a robot will send you supplies, but I don't know what button that is in the game. Yeah, I think so. It's I never like, get it. I think it's like I think it's like the Y button, which is weird. Yeah, like A and B are mapped to A and B on the N sixty four controller, and then I think it's down and left are mapped to X and Y. Like, sorry, yeah. down down and left C uh, C buttons are mapped to X and Y, which is strange. And then right and up are mapped to you have to hold. The, the left trigger and then press the face buttons or, or fa- I don't even remember. See, I like even the fact that I yeah. can't explain it. But concisely. most of the game is is pretty easy to play because the only other thing is like the barrel roll, like it's right trigger on the right side and then left left like it's right bumper and left trigger, which yeah. is weird. Yes. But ultimately, I think that it's still one worth going back to. I think there's also a 3DS remake of 64. Again, there it's weird going to talk about because I think that it's such a fundamental experience for people our age um but i do think there's a lot of value in going back because it has such a unique atmosphere and such a silly kind of like arcadey vibe that you don't see in a lot of nintendo stuff yeah the only other like score chase nintendo games i can think of are like arguably metroid and that's sort of like every metroid is once you beat it is like how fast can you do it yeah totally and then the first luigi's mansion (laughs) that's kind (laughs) of it yeah um but uh, I think there's another there's another game in the N64 library, one that they just added to the collection that I think is also another one that like is timeless in yeah. terms of how it's held up, wow. which I think you've finally played more of. Love a love a segue. Yeah, uh, they just released Paper <laughs> Mario, which is the first game that they've added to this collection since it came out. Yeah, and they announced when this came out. Uh, that Banjo Kazooie will come out next month, which is nice. So it seems like one a month is is their uh, cadence at the moment. Although when we run out of the games that they've already announced, like I wonder if there's going to be more or if that's going to be it. Like, are they just yeah. going to work? Jelly the Boy. Next, yeah, is it going to be the next six months and then we're just not going to get anything after that? Very curious to find out. But anyway, Paper Mario, the first one, is out on the N64 collection. Um, I played about two hours of it so far and I really like it and I think it holds up. It is beautiful. It's a classic case of Nintendo having art direction that is like absolutely timeless and uh i i think kind of far surpasses what should have been possible on the n64 just because they yeah. were able to use that hardware as as well as humanly possible the the strange thing i'll say about paper mario is i think the first like 30 to 45 minutes have absolutely terrible writing which is like not the vibe for those games i, I was kind of surprised because like as soon as you get to like the goomba village and toad town and stuff it turns into the thing that I expected Paper Mario to be, but until that point, yeah. they're doing all the setup. It's just like it just feels like it was written for four-year-olds, which is strange. Like I, <laughs> I know it kind of was. Just to be clear, I know it kind of was. It is a game for children, but there's a version of the writing in these like Mario RPGs, whether it be Paper Mario or Super Mario RPG or the Mario and Luigi series, which is like. 
the writing is just like a thousand jokes a minute. It's very funny at all times. It's very strange that Paper Mario opens with like 30 minutes of absolutely not that. Yeah, I remember I haven't played the first Paper Mario in a while, but I remember the appeal of that one is more the RPG and setting stuff. Yes. I think that if you want like sharper writing, Thousand Year Door is like really clever and really funny. My plan is to make my way through all of them. So I'll get to Thousand Year Door eventually. Definitely. I do have it, which is great. Um, So I'll I'll, I'll be able to get to it. But I I was waiting for Paper Mario to come out on the N64 collection once they announced it. And I'll just say I'm liking it. I mean, I haven't really played enough of it to really have a full take outside of just like, I think it's good. I think it holds up. I think it looks great. I haven't seen people complaining (laughs) about like how it emulates which is good and I, I guess just to circle back to that to be clear like as you were saying you know like Ocarina of Time like the back of your hand like you're you have such a heavy nostalgia for it you know exactly what it looked like and and to see anything but that I think is is gonna throw you off and I, I think a lot sure. of people share that it seems like having not had that ever like having really only ever played emulated versions of this whether that be through like the Wii virtual console or the Wii U virtual console or like through a, a shitty laptop or something I feel like I've never seen the actual correct versions of these so so I have found the N64 collection so far to, while not, I don't think it's a great value proposition at the moment. I have found it to be like more than enjoyable for all the stuff that I've played. Like I'm excited to actually play through Ocarina of Time and like finish it. That's another one I would say is like, is still pretty timeless. Like there, there's definitely like some awkwardness to get used to, but I think that that is definitely one of the, one of the N64 games that I would say, like if you want a taste of this generation, this is a must yes. you know, that, that set the standard for 3d Zelda. I mean, that's, it's a similar thing to Mario 64 where like both games with no prior work to rely on, successfully took their franchise into three dimensional yes three three dimensions which is which is incredible and i I think you know even even with all the stuff that people don't like about the way it's being emulated on the switch i have played enough of it already on the switch to know that i don't care at all and i don't notice any of it so i think i'm gonna have a great time playing what is a classic weirdly enough though i do think like the value proposition of the n64 and genesis collections are less interesting to me than you also get animal crossing happy home paradise with it which is like truly of everything that they really least at the same time that is the star like if you have animal crossing and you haven't played happy home paradise it is worth upgrading to the new tier of switch online because not only do you get happy home paradise but you also get the n64 collection instead of vice versa which is i think how it was pitched initially yes exactly it was like i actually think of ocarina time as as the icing on the happy on the happy home paradise cake yes i completely agree uh yeah i mean there's also I've heard great things about the 3DS remakes of both Majora's Mask and Ocarina of Time. Which I do have, to be clear. Yeah. I I have played, I would say, like three or four hours of Ocarina of Time 3DS and just like never really continued with it. And I have Majora's Mask and have not played it at all on the 3DS. Yeah. So my plan is to play Ocarina of Time on the Switch collection and then probably Majora's Mask on 3DS. Because I've heard that the quality of life stuff is really good. Yeah, I, I think I think playing Majora's Mask on a more modern console is the way to go. Because I think that that game feels harder to get into than even Ocarina in many yeah. ways. They're both incredible games. I honestly think that like the reason for playing Ocarina is the story. I think that there's something really magical about that narrative that other Zeldas don't always get close to. Like, I think that like there are some standouts that, that kind of reach the same narrative highs, but they transition from young link to adult link is like an experience worth having. That is one of those like game moments. that's like, you should experience this. If you, if you love games, like this is something that you should feel in your, in your lifetime. 
Yeah. So that's my uh, pitch for Ocarina of Time, uh, a game <laughs> you might have heard about. Yeah. Interestingly enough, and, and this is a thing that I, I think I'm excited to go into 2022 with the expectation for, but there was a report by Bloomberg recently that Sony is working on a competitor to Game Pass, which... That was the way it was framed in the Bloomberg report, which essentially says that there's going to be three tiers of PlayStation Plus in the future. I think the first tier is like what we already have, which is $50 a year. Maybe that price will drop. Maybe it'll increase. I don't know. There's not a lot of details, but there are other tiers that will be included that will include backwards compatibility with PlayStation 1, 2, 3, four and I think PSP games wow. along with PlayStation Now game streaming will like get bundled in. So I, I have to assume that like those two offerings like backwards compatibility and game streaming will be like different parts of those tiers if I were to guess right now. But I'm very interested to see what that is. So this was framed as in, in the article that Bloomberg posted as a competitor to Game Pass. It sounds more to me like they're trying the Nintendo online model because it sounds like they're saying, you know, you're paying for the online service of PlayStation Online, but you're also getting our our previous uh our previous titles which i think you know gets closer to what you and i were hoping for and i i, I was going to talk about this a little bit during the goatee episode but i think one of the interesting trends for me this year at least has been me playing my playstation like zero percent of the time almost unless there's like a really big hit you know like a ratchet and clank comes out and like i'm gonna play it there or guardians of the galaxy comes out and like i would i would like to see that in 4k outside of those kinds of situations i've been playing on my Xbox more than anything else. And I was even considering and like talking in the discord with some people about canceling PlayStation plus recently, like a couple days before this report had dropped because I just, I just don't see the value in it right now because even the stuff that I am playing on my PlayStation are not multiplayer games. It's all single right. player stuff. And that's what Sony is focused on, right? Like Sony's auteur vibe has been third person over the shoulder, single player stories. So why am I paying for an online service? You know, unless I'm playing like whatever the new call of duty is, which I'm so not. You can buy the Kratos skin uh, for uh, Trap of the rapper three. Yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah, exactly. So I'm interested in this mainly because like, as you and I have mentioned a lot, there are a lot of really great games on those previous generations, like the PS2 being the best-selling console of all time was for a reason. There's a lot of great games there. I'll be interested to see how many deals they can strike, though. That's kind of my big thing, is like, I'm interested in them going more the direction of Nintendo Online than Game Pass, because as Jim Ryan has said multiple... Well, he Jim Ryan has said that a Game Pass-like service would be not feasible for Sony, considering the cost of game development and making the stuff that they're making for the PS4 and PS5, which I can understand because those costs are ballooning. And even at the now $70 price point, uh, they're not making their money back. So like, I don't think a Game Pass thing would work for them. Jim Ryan has also said that he's not very interested in porting old games to the PS5. So I'm very interested to hear this <laughs> announcement, I guess. I mean, it's not an announcement. Yeah. It's a rumor, I guess, to be clear. This is, this is a this is leaked information. But all of that having been said, there are a lot of great games there and I would really like to be able to play them again. And I, I wonder if they'll be able to strike the deals that they need to strike with the various publishers to make those happen. Because even at this point, Microsoft has said that they're not making any more backwards compatible games for the Xbox because they have done as many deals as they possibly can. And everyone else has either like said no or asked for more money than was financially feasible for them. So that's it for Xbox compatibility. And Sony, with a lot less money, is going to try and create a competing service. I'm very curious to see how it goes. But I am excited to play whatever comes out. I am a little bit disappointed that Vita is not part of this. I'll say mm. that much. I wish that there was some Vita stuff in there. but uh, The Dreamcast of Sony's catalog, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, that is a compliment, just to be clear. <laughs> a tragic compliment. I am I am happy that um, that PlayStation is potentially kind of reversing course on being like, yeah, we, we're not interested in the PlayStation 2, for example. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think the elephant in the room, too, is like it seems like they don't really know what to do with PS Now, where it's like now is yeah. like currently kind of this. Like you can if you want to play Eco, the easiest way to do that is to have a PlayStation Now subscription. Yeah. Which I would recommend. But it's like, why is that my only way of getting this game? Right. <laughs> um, and. I, I could see them at the very least like revamping either like discontinuing that service entirely or changing what it is and maybe making it more akin to like, here's our old catalog. I would honestly love that. I would love to have at least PlayStation one through three. I mean, like that could potentially include persona persona four coming to PS five before switch is a tragic reality. But, yeah. uh, you know, but if that happens, that also means that you could then stream it through PlayStation now, which would be really exciting, exactly. right? Like I could play, exactly. I could then play persona Four golden, sorry, persona four. Cause it wouldn't be golden. Cause again, Vita's being Vita. left out here. Uh, right. but I could play it on my phone with my backbone and that sounds great. That sounds amazing. Yeah. So we'll see. That's an exciting rumor though. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. I think it's very interesting. I There was a really good video by, I want to say, Modern Vintage Gamer on YouTube, who is a person who like makes ports of things, of like old games to new systems. I think he just worked on the Quake port to like modern consoles. And he was talking about specifically the challenges of bringing this to fruition, like how, how specifically hard it is. And yeah. he was like, the main thing that's going to make this difficult to pull off are Sony's own restrictions in terms of releasing stuff on their platforms in that every single game that comes to a PlayStation platform has to have trophies that can't just be like kind of bullshit trophies. They need to be like ingrained into the game. And because a lot of the games that they're talking about are like old games where the source code is either unavailable or like gone completely. That means that there's a lot of like people needing to like decompile and like sift through the code and like figure out how these games are made and implementing trophies. He was saying take somewhere in the realm of like three to six months of development by itself. Wow. And to just like, so this isn't a thing that they can just like, oh yeah, we already have a PS3 emulator working well for PlayStation now so we can stream this stuff to PS5s. It's like you have to go in and figure out how to add trophies to those PS3 games, which is a whole process by itself. So it's going to be very difficult. And I, I'll be interested yeah. to see when this comes out, if ever. The, the, the Bloomberg report said it was going to be spring of 2022. I would, I would like to see that, but who knows, honestly. Yeah. Spring of 22 feels like a good one day guesstimate for everything. Like <laughs> yeah. I feel like for my whole life, I'll be like, yeah, spring of 22. We'll figure it out. Though. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, in, I'm interested in, in whatever this ends up being. Um, Me too. I have a lot of nostalgia for a lot of that stuff. So yeah. And I, I, mean, I, there's I think so much there. If it's more cost yeah. effective than like doing an actual Game Pass thing, I think that's it's probably a good move. I don't think it'll be a hit the way Game Pass is, to be clear. Because I, I do think it's a much more niche service to say like, okay, you're paying $50 a year for PlayStation now, but if you pay $80 a year, you get access to the PlayStation Portable Library. I don't think a lot of people are going to jump at that, but we'll see. It's it's interesting to just watch PlayStation this generation, like kind of floundering a little bit in that they have this really great hardware that's flying off shelves and they can't keep it stocked because of the chip shortage. And like... People clearly love it and love the experiences they're having with it, but it does very much feel like the PlayStation 4 Part 2 in, yeah. in a way. And totally. I, I think they're starting to realize that Microsoft is putting a lot of pressure on them via services like Game Pass. And now if even Nintendo has a better online subscription offering than you do, you know, you fucked up somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 
So I, I think that they need to work so fast to build a lot of infrastructure that is like very complex and requires like not only like technical hardware and software development, but also requires like a lot of deep pockets to talk to a lot of publishers to republish old stuff. Like that's that's a huge undertaking that you can't do very quickly, but we'll see. Yeah, I, I'm definitely hopeful. I don't know. I mean, we'll see what happens. I think like there are a lot of conversations to have just based on the various things brought up in, in what you just said. I mean, like one is that I think that there's the sentiment in like almost all media that it has to be bigger and better and mm-hmm. giant. And it's like, that's something I got really exhausted by not to dunk on the game awards even more, but I will uh, <laughs> like every announcement was like, this is the biggest boom. Bam! I, don't, I don't need, I don't care the idea of like, you know, Oh, like, Games are changing the way we think about movies and explosions and babes. I'm like, this sucks. I don't care. I don't care. There's a place for like a big blockbuster AAA experience the same way there is for movies. And there's a place for a more intimate, smaller project. I want I want to have both, but I don't want the entire landscape to change for for the bigger experience. You know, yeah, like I think that 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 like and it seems like Sony's idea is like by spending the most money and having the biggest, <laughs> grandest games, we will be the best. And that is just not true. It's a very juvenile. We have the biggest box with the biggest games. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I just think there is often a disconnect and it's hard to really say like. What do people want? Because we all want different things. This is all subjective. That's kind of my point. Games are subjective like any other medium. There's a variety of experiences. And it feels like sometimes the people at the driver's seat think it has to be one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's a, I want all your money. We're going to put fucking like haunted NFTs in this game. Or this is going to have like celebrities in it. And it's going to be huge. And it's going to look like real life. Like, yeah. I'm actually happy with games as they are. I just want them to be interesting ideas. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's my th- thank you for indulging my spiel. So you're not going to unlock the rock in the new Fortnite battle pass is what you're saying. I mean, you got me there. I yeah. think I might have to see how he fares in chapter three. But <laughs> I'm overall I, I think there's always I think it's very easy to be like doomsdayist about any state of the world with art in general because it's it's all everything has been so like taken over by corporations that it's hard to not kind of like lose hope for it but i think Mm. and not not that i know anything but just in in the course of history for all this stuff there is always an appetite for and a desire to create something that is counter to what is being kind of manufactured and forced on an audience and that's always going to happen there's always going to be a place for that. And that's what I'm most interested in. You know, I think that that's like, that's going to happen in movies. It's going to happen with, with books and with TV and with games. And I just think, you know, I think that again, I want to be clear. Like I loved Ratchet and Clank. That was very much a first party Sony driven thing. But I think that that, even that game, as much as it utilized the hardware was a focused kind of uh, grounded experience. It had a very clear mission. It didn't overstay its welcome. It wasn't bloated. The yeah. same way that I think a lot of other games are. Yeah. But anyway, I, I that's 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 just my opinion. Um. Well, I agree with your opinion, Stephen. Thank you. I'll say that. I much. appreciate it. Just you and I here in this echo chamber together. <laughs> <laughs> it takes two. I thought one was enough. It's not true. It, it takes, takes two, two was game of the year, right? It was. Yeah. To be fair, I have not played it, but I found it to be a surprising <laughs> announcement. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but there wasn't really, again, this, I think that's another testament. Like if that was your favorite game of the year, go for it. Like, I think this, this year is essentially that there wasn't like a, I think in any award show, there's usually like the thing that will probably win the thing that everyone wants to win. There wasn't that this year. Like, I don't know if there was a mm. clear, like, this is what deserves to win. I think like, I'm happy for the teams who won truly. I, I think that like, I didn't really, my disappointment with the game awards was not with what won for the most part. Yeah. Um, it was more with how it was conducted overall. Yeah. It takes two. I thought one was enough. It's not true. Um uh, hey, should we wrap up? Paper Mario is good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry if I completely snatched away your Paper Mario segment from no, you. No. I'd love to revisit that. I cuz I think you and I loved in our Game Boy Advance episode we loved Superstar Saga. I'm yeah. really excited to play Inside Story for the DS episode. Dude, yeah, me too. That's one I'm really looking forward to playing. Speaking of DS, what is it? Star Fox Assault on the DS, I would say, is the other good Star Fox game if you haven't played it. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. I'll be interested to see how you feel about it because it kind of has the same technical limitations as the, mm. as the N64 one. Um, and you have to fly around with a fucking stylus and it's a nightmare <laughs> in a really fun way. <laughs> I'll have to check that out. That sounds fun. Yeah, I think you'll like it. That was like one of my favorite DS games growing up. Hell yeah. I'm excited. It's going to be a really good episode in June. Be a yeah. lot of time, but I'm excited <laughs> to. I'm glad we revealed it because we're bad at keeping secrets. Yeah. Uh, let's wrap up. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Really, really appreciate all the kind words that we hear about the show and that we have an audience at all. It's amazing. If you like the show, the best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend. Into the cast that online has the links for all our various pages places to listen to the show the patreon all that kind of stuff like we said earlier uh for patrons we're going to be making a bonus episode about arcane a discussion about the show i'm looking forward to that and i also think early next year i have a a slightly larger project planned for the patrons as well as always if backing the patreon puts you in any financial strain please do not we will understand if you pull your support but by backing the show, it allows us to make more for you. It allows us to slowly move towards a reality where we can do the show full time, which is really like the dream right now. I think we're, we're open to um, this might be a bigger conversation later, but I think we're once again kind of rethinking the structure of the Patreon, like maybe having like a more official schedule for it. I know we've kind of gone back and forth between like we wanted to do monthly stuff and then that was unfeasible for a while. But like. Just expect more information on that soon, as well as like other announcements for the show. But uh, yeah, that's that's essentially it. Next week, we'll be recording the Game of the Year episode. I'm very excited for that. Uh, a big shout out to all the guests we've had on the show up until now. Uh, we'll be featuring uh, some of their goatee picks that they've recorded like we did last year. So that'll be really fun. I really like just the celebratory vibe of this time of year and of those episodes. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I do think that. Actually, I'm going to talk about it during the Game of the Year episode. I'm going to, I'm going to <gasps> hold this opinion until then. Okay. But anyway, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for uh, sending us emails. We've actually been getting a lot of emails recently. Yeah. So thank you so much for that. Uh, if you've written an Apple podcast review, thank you for doing that. Yeah. Appreciate it. Cool. Thanks for everything. I'm going to go play uh, more Halo Infinite, I think. <laughs> I don't know why I laughed at that. That's fun. That sounds good. Yeah. What's so fucking funny, Steven? I'm finally getting a haircut. I have like oh, early nice. thousands, like kind of screamo uh, mop <laughs> going on right now. I think you look great, Stephen. I look like I'm in a band that's named after a book the band had to read in high school. You know, <laughs> one of those bands. <laughs> Catcher in the Rye, the band. <laughs> Fallies! <laughs> 
There was an era, you know. Let's just let's just. My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. You become more like your father. Um, I am Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. I apologize for quoting uh, Star Fox sixty four in twenty twenty one. Daddy screamed real good before he died. I think I'll torture you for a while. Goodbye. Good luck. Everything's for sale. Trinkets. Odds and ends. That sort of thing. TWG. The worst garbage. The online.